Hello lovely people, how are you doing? I do hope you're doing okay. Now, if you're thinking about your next chapter and there's a bit of, shall we say, fear standing in your way, and we all know about that little tinker, then I think this is just the chat for you. Julie Riley did it. She just did it. She's created the life she wanted to live. Now, she fell in love with clay and pottery when she was at secondary school. She went on to work in a museum and then had a big corporate job at Shell, which took her and her husband to Singapore. But she never, ever lost her love for clay. It was only when she became a mum she decided to push through that fear that we all know so well. And now she works in her studio in her garden doing exactly what she loves. Julie's work now has a waiting list. She has orders coming in from all over the world and she's been written about in several national magazines. I found out about Julie by reading one of these articles. I got in touch and she was kind enough to say yes straight away because Julie, I think, really understands how important making your next chapter your reality is. I loved hearing how Julie built her new life, not just for her, but for her family too. She really, really is so inspiring and I hope you will enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Hello and welcome to the next chapter by Ellie Barker. The idea behind this podcast is that as I start my next chapter from journalist to indie author, I speak to some incredible and inspiring people who have already started their next chapter in the hope it might help you with your next chapter or at the very least, you'll just enjoy the conversation. So here she is, Julie Riley. Julie Riley, welcome to the next chapter by Ellie Barker. I am so honoured to have you with me. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, it really is my pleasure because I actually read about you, Julie, in a magazine. And when I saw your story, I thought, wow, this is amazing. And I'd mentioned actually to a couple of people, a few people I was going to be talking to you. And they were like, you've got to interview her. This is amazing. So <laughs> let's get on with it. Let's get on with it. So I start as ever with the prologue. So this is where Julie's story began. And you grew up in Devon. Yes, where that's where you sort of spent your early years. Yeah, so my family home is down in Plymouth, um, in a little suburb quite close to the sea. Um, and yeah, I grew up there in the fields and going out with my two older brothers, getting into trouble and mischief. <laughs> Sounds very and, lovely. Uh, yeah, and you and you love you obviously developed sort of a love for nature then. Yeah, so my granddad um, is a great gardener and he always used to give us these little pots of plants to take home every time we went round to his house. And um, so he kind of nurtured that very early kind of interest in growing and, and plants and nature and things. And yeah, so yeah, playing outside was always a big thing for us. We had a little um, building site down the end of our road and then a forest at the very top of it. So yeah, it was a very rural kind of up upbringing and growing up in that area sounds well sounds lovely what and obviously you went to school what what kind of people were you at school Julie um I was a very quiet pupil I didn't like really I wasn't a big personality in school particularly particularly in the early years kind of settings um and the one word I remember from all my school reports was being quiet and conscientious so just (laughs) that's quite a nice description I would say I don't know I always thought it was a bit rude I was like no I, I, I you know I join in and I'm, I'm not that quiet but you know obviously I was you were putting your hand up they just didn't notice yes, exactly. that's what it was yeah. so um so yeah so you and did you enjoy school I did yeah I really loved school um I had a really nice group of friends and I think that really makes a difference if you've got a group that you um really feel kind of at home with um 
and like I was never stellar at school I had I was in with a group of people who were very very clever and so they kind of pushed me through to keep up with them um and yeah I was probably really lucky to to fall in with that group of people okay and then so you went off to university and you but but, so before we go on to that you did I missed something very important here because you were was it sort of towards the sixth form when you first were introduced to clay yeah so I was really lucky the the comprehensive school that I went to in Plimstock um had a pottery department so it had its own um pottery teacher there were two um arts teachers in the school one did like the drawing and the painting and stuff like that and then there was obviously this 3D class. Um, and when you got to six women, if you did art, you got to go into the both both sets of the classes. Um, and so we had a teacher called Mr. Shooter, and he was just amazing. And um, I was never into modern art. I was never into to all the really kind of flashy new stuff. And he really kind of bridged that gap and introduced us to like a whole extra layer of art and... Um, and obviously the pottery side of it as well. And I used to spend my break times in the pottery studio <laughs> trying to learn how to throw, <laughs> which is um, interesting. It's very hard. <laughs> so did you just fall in love with it straight away then? Yeah. So I used to do like um, air dry clay and, and play with thymo. I don't know if you've ever come across that. It's like a plastic modelling stuff that you can cook in your oven, um, which was obviously quite a big thing in the 80s, I think. <laughs> it's quite a new... <laughs> fad along with microwaves and things like that yeah exactly yeah and there was that microwavable plastic as well all those things (laughs) I got through all of that I bet you Um, did yeah so I was a bit of a serial crafter I'd try anything and whatever I could get my hands on I'd I'd play with okay so when so you picked to do English at university so it wasn't there that you were actually going to do sort of arts and that at university no so my teachers kind of steered me away from it I originally wanted to go to um art school in Falmouth and had like written my application wow. and my mum got wind of this and was not very happy about the idea of me going away so I think she ended up going into the school and talking to the teachers and they were all like you know you could go and you would be okay at it but you know it kind of they kind of convinced me it would limit my options and that I should stay and go to university and do like a regular subject you know a okay. bit more academic um probably because I was quite good at these things as well and I think they just I don't know, it feels a bit short-sighted now, where I am now looking back at that. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I think that was very much, I think sort of nowadays we're all a little bit more open to it, but it was very much, I remember when I applied to do, because I wanted to be a journalist and I applied to do media studies, but, but media studies also was seen as a bit of a, you know, a bit of a, you know, a bit of a wishy-washy, yeah. uh, a wishy-washy. That said, I ended up doing sociology, which wasn't much. But anyway, that's another story. It's not about me. It's not about me. My dad called it socialising-ology, but still. Um, so, uh, yes, yeah, so but so you ended up doing English. Where did you go to university, Julie? Lancaster. Oh, wow. So I, I then had this plan that I wanted to choose a university as far away from home as I could. Yes. This was Sterling. <laughs> Lancaster and then I can't remember what the third choice was but it was miles away as well all right um, and they also had to have a castle I don't know why but that was just one of my <laughs> wow why not why wouldn't it and but so while you were there though you did do you did art as alongside your English didn't you yeah so I had um you had to do three subjects at my university so you didn't you weren't specialized in any one area so I did um English philosophy and art very good um and actually I really didn't enjoy the art and actually through school 
probably the one reason that I kind of didn't ignore everyone and go off down the arts route is that I found it really hard working to a brief and having to try and explain my creative process and create all this extra kind of gumph and and justification for what you're doing because I just didn't feel like that I created because I enjoyed doing it and it was just you know there was no like real kind of background to it it was just I'm going to create because I like beautiful things and I'm going to go and make make something today that's going to be beautiful and that doesn't really work very well when you have to write a big long essay about your inspiration and yeah and your muse but I mean that's in a way it's ridiculous really isn't it because that could have I mean obviously we're going to go on and it, it and it didn't put you off but that could really put that could really stop some yeah, people developing so, yeah I mean it's it's done to make it into like an academic subject it's done for for good reasons and and there's justification for it but it just it really held back how I felt about doing the work and um, at university I did the bare minimum like I, I rarely went to the studio when I was supposed to um, and yeah it didn't didn't really ring ring for me I think if it had I probably would have then again steered back towards that kind of career but yeah, um, yeah. and it's quite frightening isn't it the the damage it can do because of the fact that your passion and you were so passionate yeah. about it joy <laughs> yeah absolutely so it goes to show that you don't actually well we're gonna again go on to this but you don't actually have to spend years and years studying something to make a living out of doing it as well which is sort of quite fascinating so if we move then on to your first chapter so you actually so you ended up actually really going into the corporate world and you worked at Shell in expense management yep (laughs) so how did that come about from so from doing English so the backstory is that there's actually a, a connection between there which was um my very first job was for a um, design company that built museums. Um, And so I applied for an assistant project manager job there. And kind of the reason I applied, I was like, it's like a creative environment. I'm kind of interested in that. Museums are quite cool. They had um, junior common rooms. So it's like the student body would elect somebody to um, look after their interests. So I did that at university. And that's pretty much how I got this job was because I'm doing all this organisational stuff. Um, and so I worked there for two years, I think it was, um, and um, got made redundant. And I was really gutted when I had I to leave. You it was a brilliant job and it was a lot of fun. Um, Did you like yeah. working in a museum? Yeah, so it was really nice. It was like a really blended creative role. So you were looking after um, kind of translating the design team into reality. So you'd be on site with the teams building the the. Um, installations and things like that um, and yeah so the funding for that around the year 2000 so there were all the um, lottery fund projects going on and so when that money started to run out the museum stopped like making all these new things and so um, there wasn't enough work to justify me staying Aww. so I lost my job there and then one of my good friends was working at Shell in HR Oh, no, she was in trouble, actually, at the time. And um, she phoned me up saying, they're really desperate for someone to come in on this project. I know you're not working at the moment. Do you want to come in for an interview? And I was like, well, of all the places I want to work, Shell was probably quite low on my list. A little bit different to what you've been doing. Like paying my rent. And I was like, it's fine. Yeah, I'll come in. I'll come in for a bit and see see how it goes. Um, And I got the job on the spot, pretty much. Wow. 
then travelled around within Shell and kind of moved around in different departments and did all sorts of different weird and wonderful projects. And did you like that? Did you did you start to enjoy that? Yeah, I did really enjoy it, and I was good at it. So it was, you know, a nice nice when you find something you're good at. Yeah, you can just get on and do. Um, and yeah, so I travelled around. I went to Singapore for a while with them, and worked in Japan and Dubai and all sorts of different places. So it was all all the fun. With, with with Shell. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So it's all all very you know fun and great exposure to go and do all these different things. And had you met your husband by this stage? Yes. So I met Mark in London and then we both moved out to Singapore together. Right. And you were out there for five years. Yeah, that's right. Wow. I mean, what a place to live, though. Did you love it? Yeah, it was amazing. It was a bit like a holiday camp, though, because it's a really small island. <laughs> so you knew everyone. You like real life. Yeah. And you know everyone. And it's also, it's a, like the community there is um kind of like two-sided there's all the local community and then there's a really strong expat community there and it's actually hard to blend across the two so you end up kind of stuck kind of in like it does feel like a really artificial environment I mean it was really fun and I really loved my time there but by the end of it we were kind of ready to come back to real life and you, you ate some unusual food while you were out there Yes, all sorts of interesting, weird and wonderful things. I saw something. Did you eat some? It's like a bit of a trial. You have yeah, to... it like, yeah, it sounded like you were on uh, I'm a Celebrity. <laughs> what did you eat? You ate some like little insects or, or, or something yeah, like that? Yeah, they're like grubs. Grubs. Like, well, yeah. <laughs> Not necessarily what you want to have always. but um, yeah. And do you think what you were learning there in terms of, well, project management, do, do you think yeah. that sort of which we'll go on to in, in just a while. But do you think that was really sort of building up some skills there? Were you were you thinking ever then I'd like to work for myself or no. not at all? <laughs> wow, amazing. No. no, it was only kind of um, just as I had my son that I started thinking seriously about what I wanted to do. You know, it's one of these kind of events in your life where you start to analyse where you've got to and what you want to do next. Yeah, it, well, it does that for yeah, you. It's actually, you're not going to get to do anything next because you've got children. I know that at the time. So I sat down <laughs> and I thought, I'm going to have this, you know, period of maternity leave where I'll be at home. What can I do with my free time? Because <laughs> <laughs> there's so much, so yeah, much. Yeah, all that amazing free time that I had. So um, I saved up, I was paid maternity leave. So I, I saved up all my maternity leave bought a kill and set my studio up and I was like that's it I'm set I'll be doing that you know when the kids are asleep I'll be out making some pots of course you would children that don't sleep (laughs) (laughs) so well okay so yeah so we're going to move on now into your next chapter so you came back from Singapore and so did you stay working at Shell then when you came back from Singapore yes so we moved back into London um and I, I think I probably had another three years before we moved out here okay so that's then you so you went to the lovely and I've seen pictures on your website Judy and it just looks utterly idyllic um but so you've moved out to Oxfordshire yeah we're just north of Oxford okay and so you wanted sort of a real change so this was a complete change of yeah so we kind of knew that we wanted children and I knew that I would not bring them up in London (laughs) I can understand (laughs) I really hankered for the, the hills of Devon. And we originally started looking down towards Bristol, where you are, and um, spent a good two years hunting around all the little villages and the outskirts around there. 
and just couldn't find what we wanted. Like, you know, a lot of the villages were really pretty, but then they didn't really have a lot of community and a lot of services and things in them. And um, just by chance, Mark, one of Mark's companies was working in the north of Oxford. And um, he was like, it's quite nice up there. And they've got hills, you know, the, the key requirements for your kind of, I need to be back in rural hilly. Yeah. <laughs> he, he was born and bred in London, so he wanted to be in, like, a fairly large village. He didn't want to be out in a field like I did, so we had to compromise a yeah, bit. Yeah, um, And then just by chance, we were in Wales and driving back through. And so we phoned all the agents up in the area and said we're driving through on our way back to London if you've got any properties that we can see and this house had been on our list and had I think had offers on it that fell through and came back on the market that weekend Wow! so as we were driving through we came and looked at it and we were both like this this is the one you know this is you know all outs got to have that house (laughs) that's amazing how it comes about like that doesn't it all those years of looking and then there it was you knew it and I'd actually almost written it off our list because I thought the garden was too small because I wanted, like, the orchard and the chickens. Of course, why not? <laughs> I don't blame you. And yeah. um, so so at this stage, were you still doing with your, working with your pottery at all? Were you, were you back yeah, doing so that? Yeah, when I was still in London, um, I went back to, like, evening classes. So I started in Putney because we had a house. I was originally staying in Wandsworth. And there's a little art school there that does these evening classes, which are kind of like open access classes. You can just go in and if you're a beginner, they teach you how to use all the equipment and things. And if you know what you're doing, you can just go in and and make whatever you want. So I did that for a couple of years before going to Singapore. And then I stopped. And then when we came back into London, um, I found a studio in the Cockpit Art Centre um which is where Kerry Hastings works she's potter as well and she makes these amazing kind of organic hand-built kind of pieces which is quite similar to the kind of things that I'm drawn to so she again ran classes and it was kind of like open access if you knew what you wanted to do you just rock up and use all the equipment um and so I did that for a couple of years as well Okay. And that was kind of the point at which I was like, I moved out here and there weren't any studios that I could find that I could just go to. And I was like, okay, I think it's time to, you know, I, I'm not going to have time to keep driving out to places. So I'm going to make my own little space and, and use that. Because it's interesting, isn't it? When you, when you do have a baby, I was like this because that was actually when I started actually writing my books. But it's like, what a ridiculous thing to do because it's like, you're just having a baby. You shouldn't, you know, I don't. <laughs> quite get it must be nobody I think nobody wants to admit to you how hard it's going to be so you have no idea you see them all and they're like go on have babies join us yeah yeah you know you just sit and have coffee have a coffee and and do make business the baby's asleep we'll go for a coffee yeah Yeah, Yeah. because it's exactly exactly like that. I don't think I didn't find it. Don't worry Um, about the five minutes you'll have to shower every morning. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, and the five minutes you get to actually sleep as well, but and function. But um, so so when you had your um, little boy Josh, is that when you actually did start to do? You did you start to sort of build your business then at the same time? Yeah, so about probably was probably about eight or nine months after it was born because he was not an easy child well often they're not those gorgeous little boys <laughs> say goodbye to these eight or nine months um and then i happened there's a, a nanny in the village who was working for a different family and they moved and 
she lost her job with them and we I knew her from the baby group because she used to take the younger kids there and at the time I was like I think I'm just about ready to you know start doing a day or a morning or something like that whatever I can get and I met her in our village shop and she was like she looked really sad and I was like oh what's going on with you and she's like oh I've just lost my job and I was like well would you like to come work for me wow yeah because um you know she knew Josh and they already had a little bit of a relationship from from the toddlers group and um so yeah she started working for us and so it was much more flexible she lives just at the end of my road that's good that's so good yeah (laughs) it was really really easy and um yeah so she started taking him like a morning a week and then we slowly worked up to like three mornings and um whenever I had the energy to actually try and do anything yeah because I'm sure you didn't have much (laughs) no (laughs) it's like right now I'm gonna make my amazing business three hours a week (laughs) exactly how did you find that after working for a big company like you had did it did it just feel so different I mean that you just like were starting something completely new and you're a mum your whole life changed you go from having like this really structured career and lots of feedback about how wonderful you are and then you're there on your own your own worst enemy like in your dressing I gown things i made <laughs> chucked most of it out was deeply embarrassed oh, no, and um, had to struggle through that bit um but i did i kind of like my business skills i sat down and i had a plan I kind of said to myself that I was going to have a year where I would start just slowly working out what I wanted to do. Um, and then as I was doing that, I came across, I can't remember which business books it was. I, I bought a couple of books to read through and work out what I was going to do because while I'd, um, I'd done a few kind of business integrations and a few kind of office setups within Shell, but they were all on a much bigger scale. This is like, you know, a completely different set of business skills. And um, trying to look at that from just a purely small, single-person entrepreneur setting up a company, it was a very different thing. So I bought the books, sat down and read them, and one of them, I think, was a branding book. And um, that started talking about Instagram, which I'd never come across. And I'm quite a visual person, and I love all that stuff. Like, I was quite addicted to Pinterest at the time. (laughs) So I came across, oh, there were, like, people running these businesses on Instagram, so I logged on and I found a couple of accounts from Potters and I kind of watched what they were up to on there and then I noticed that because I originally thought I would have to like go out to galleries or you know find people to retail my work for me or go to like craft fairs and load up the car and drive down to places and then um, looking at Instagram I realised there's this whole other business model where Mm. all your sales just come straight through Instagram like there were these potters who would like put their works up on a, a Friday night and within an hour or two they would have sold out all the things they'd made you know these are big studio potters that are way bigger than <laughs> they say that you can see somebody doing something that you can do it you know it gives you a goal yeah and so I just kind of looked at that and I thought okay I'll give that a try because that's actually more suited to me I don't really want to be going out in the weekends and you know booking fairs and standing in the rain and <laughs> no and would, would that have been quite daunting for you to go out and sell directly like that I actually don't mind it I've done a few and I think because you know my work is quite you know I'm on my own the whole day I have podcasts so I listen to, to keep me company but 
you know, that's not the same as a real no. human being talking back to you. And also, like, with the kids, you know, I spend a lot of time with them, but the um, yeah. <laughs> conversation isn't exactly scintillating at not this always, stage. Not always, not always. <laughs> I can understand. the pig. Um, <laughs> so the fairs are actually quite fun because you get actually get to talk to people and you can see the reaction. And even if people aren't buying stuff, you can get quite a lot of good feedback from mm. kind of seeing what people actually pick up and what they're interested in. But it is a different kind of sales pitch at these markets because people are mostly looking for smaller things. Like, you're rarely going to get someone rocking up going, I'm actually after a full dinner set and this is the place I've come to buy it. Yeah, I came out to get it for tonight's third <laughs> <Yeah>. party. <laughs> so when you started doing your first products, what did you? What were you making then? So I originally started with these um, tall, thin very thin porcelain vases that were printed with lace kind of quite still quite rustic but much more elegant than the the kind of wares that I make now um and it was really about textures and printing and I hadn't really thought about using natural materials like the two hadn't kind of blended or I hadn't really thought about it um until you probably remember the story from the um the magazine We'd gone on this holiday to France with Josh and um, we were driving from, we drove from the UK all the way down um, and our intent was to get all the way down past the Loire and we got about halfway. No, actually not the Loire, the Dodoin. The Dodoin, is it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, we, and he was about three, was he? Yeah, he was, he was really quite small. He still remembers it, actually. He remembers the car being... Ah. The, the, this this part of the story yeah so we found a campsite and it was shut and so we were just scouting around found another place just down the road that appeared to be um these cabins and stuff all but around a really nice field and it's actually way nicer than the place we were going to stay at and um we just settled in and i'd started unpacking our car and i'd forgotten to take some out of the boot so i went to the boot grabbed it out of the car shut the boot and it did the beep beep happily locked itself oh. and I was like whoa what was that why did it just make that noise and then I was like and then I forgot the second so I went to open the boot again and I was like boot's not the boot's locked and then I was like where are the keys so, oh nightmare and now my keys are firmly locked in my car oh nightmare and um we were fortunate it was a new car so we were still on the emergency assist for it so we phoned them up and they were like yeah the security system on the car is pretty good. We can sometimes break into them. I was like, okay. So we were like, can you send out your local repairman, whoever it is? And so he came out and he tried like pumping the doors for bear to get them to ping open. Um, it got to the point where I was like getting the crowbar out and I was like, whoa, stop. I don't need my car damaged. No. There is a set of keys at home, the key cupboard, and our neighbours were looking after the cat. So I phoned them up and said, can you go and dig out the keys, courier them to us, you know, on next day delivery. And so we arranged it all, got all the addresses, she posted the keys off. And then like three days later, we hadn't heard anything about the keys. Oh, and we were no. stuck at this campsite. Fortunately, they had room for us to just keep staying. Right, yeah. <laughs> just as well. Yeah. And um, 
Yeah, there was, I don't know, the courier service did not work the way it should. Eventually there for five days, waiting for the keys, just stuck. We had no car, we couldn't go anywhere. Um, in this really beautiful kind of location with this wild meadow, the grass is swaying all the time. I was like, <laughs> this idea popped into my head that I should go back and try printing with grasses and flowers and, and meadow things. And so I came back and started and then like just, it's just amazing and I love doing it and it's great fun and but that's amazing because that's in a way, you know, if you're being a bit sort of romantic about it, that that was it was a whole fate thing, wasn't it? You would if you hadn't have locked your I was destined to be yeah. an English my keys in my car. <laughs> See every cloud, Julie, every cloud. But, but not that I mean, as a as a mother of a three year old, I can, I don't think you're an idiot. I think it's just like <laughs> You know, these things and happen. It's like, who manufactures a car where you can lock your own keys yeah, in it? to be honest, they're the idiots. Um, it's smart enough to um, relock itself. Why is it not smart enough to go, oh, look, you've got your keys in here still. Are you sure you want to do that? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But that's amazing. So, so when, so just going back, when you first started putting your work out there, did you, when you like literally first like put it up on Instagram, did you feel like, basically a bit sick did you know did you feel like yeah, oh my god absolute terror like you're bearing your soul to the world and I still feel like that now I still find it really really hard yeah. like I actually in, in some ways my business has moved towards um back towards having retailers do that part of it for me because I just don't enjoy it like I, I spend weeks and weeks with stuff ready and then I'll, I'll delay photographing it and do you really? you know, for as long as I can and and actually working with retailers because they set your schedule for you. I'm like, I just have to make it and post it when it's when it's done. And then I don't have to worry about the rest of that process. It really did take off, didn't it? Because then when you... So first of all, you started just doing it very in a very small way. Be making maybe 10 pots a week. Right, right. Which sounds like a lot to me. That sounds still sounds like a lot, especially with the young, young family. But so you... But then when you started doing your botanicals, then yes. it really snowballed from there yes, I think so partly it was you know there's a big trend for dried flowers and a lot of this kind of much more naturalistic rustic styling and kind of the way I make just really fits in to that compartment and so there's there's quite a big following of florists and and people like that doing this kind of thing and so it was I think just because I, I wasn't really aware of this stuff at the time and it was only when I was going through Instagram going oh well maybe I'll, I'll find some people who like dry flowers so I can you know scout out some new materials and then came across all these amazing accounts of people who are, like purely work with dried flowers now because I would have always been like mm, that's a bit old granny you know potpourri it's <laughs> not very exciting um but with all these things you know somebody who's got a really good fine eye for what they're doing they can make these really beautiful things from them yeah and um so yeah I think my work kind of plays into that space um and yeah it's a very organic kind of the way I, I crimp the edges and stuff the whole thing is very kind of handmade and, and very visually kind of pleasing you now have waiting lists for your work yeah so um I ended up last year um it's really weird how all this stuff works because sometimes I'm like there, there must be some kind of grand scheme out there because I, I don't really chase stuff it just kind of falls into yeah. my cup in a way that I don't understand but I think that's <laughs> honestly we have um because I've been doing this podcast I've done a few episodes now and mm. it's so this 
comes up quite a lot actually that actually if you are doing what you're meant to be doing and doing something that you're passionate about it's amazing how and again it sounds a little bit hippy dippy Julie so do apologize if you think I am but it's like the (laughs) the universe is brings you you know it's yeah if you can get onto that sweet spot it opens up this whole world and it's such an amazing thing yeah so um at Christmas I got this phone call from a company in America called Terrain and they own like this really amazing set of garden centers um where they make just beautiful urn arrangements it's just like spectacular and um I knew about them because my mum had bought their book on you know what they do (laughs) and I used to sit there at Christmas leafing through it going oh it's so beautiful I love all this stuff and anyway so they phoned me up and I'm like like we're terrain have you heard of us and I was like well yeah I have actually it's a bit weird yeah it is wow. <laughs> I don't know much about American retail no but American garden centres and um they phoned me up going we've got an online business as well as our our garden centres nurseries and we'd really like to stop your work would you be interested in working with us and I was like well I'm hardly gonna say no actually I'm really bad at saying no so I just said yes <laughs> without even thinking about it <laughs> And I was like, okay, so how, you know, they were like, we'll we'll put through a small order with you first so we can just, you know, see how the sales goes and stuff. So I was like, okay, that's fine. (laughs) What are you looking for? And um, they wanted, like, it was about a thousand plates. (gasps) So from ten bowls to a thousand plates. I know. (laughs) It was a bit bonkers, so that... That all kind of came through in the middle of lockdown. So, like, the process for kind of setting up all the purchases and all the, the rest of the systems that they had in place, the order finally came through, like, a week before lockdown started and the school shut. Because <gasps> you've now got two children. You've got, you, yes. you've got your lovely daughter, Emily, as well. <laughs> oh, my goodness me. And so it was, like, it was amazing. I was like, I've got this massive order. It's like a dream. <laughs> and I was like... And now the reality is that I've somehow got to squeeze this in between homeschooling and just, you know, preserving my sanity for being not allowed to leave my own house. Yeah. And um, at the time I was like, oh, it'll be fine because the nanny can still come and she can take the children and then I can use that time. And then we're like, well, actually, she can't come because she also works at a nursing home. And I was like, we can't expose her to my family's worth of germs. And likewise... Yeah. you know she can bring it here and that would not be great either um so yeah and then I was like okay I don't really know what to do so I just wrote to them and said I'm really not sure exactly when I'm going to get round to it I will start working on it but you know the deadline that we had set which was something like the end of March to deliver it I was like it's not gonna happen yeah. <laughs> I haven't started and I've got no cover now um so yeah in the end lockdown lifted over the summer my husband took the kids away and I just frantically worked like a maniac did you, did you do it all on your own yeah yeah you have to just do it the on problem, your own the problem I had is the way that I make is kind of unique and so I was like by the time I get somebody in the studio is quite small so working with more than one person in there would be quite hellish I was like there's just not time to to kind of flick things around like that I think now, looking forward, 
I will probably get somebody in and like have a, a second in command who can take over when I can't. Do a little bit of something. Yeah. Um, even just like, you know, helping boxing things up at the end of it. I was just like, by the time I bubble wrapped that many plates and had the boxes, like my, I have a big kitchen, but it was full of boxes and, you know, yeah, it was all a bit of a nightmare. Wow, but you did it. So you did all, you did a thousand. I got most, I, I think I was about 20 short in the end, just because they also like being Americans, they wanted everything bigger and better. <laughs> of course they did. So they were these massive platters that when they get that big, you, you tend to lose more in the kiln, they break, they crack and right. yeah, you just get a lot of, a lot of issues with them. And so at the end I was just like, I'm done. <laughs> I bet you were. <laughs> this were you, is what I managed to do. And were you like, were you just working round the clock? So, do you, I mean, physically, did that? Does it sort of start to hurt your hands and things like that? Yeah, it was exhausting. Absolutely exhausting. By the end of it, I was just like, I just don't want to make anything now. I'm free to do some work, but I just stopped for a bit. I was just like, it nearly broke me. On top of all the lockdown stuff, it just was too much. And actually, they're still waiting for me to get back in contact with them for their next order. I've just right. been like, I'm just not ready. Yeah, no, I can understand that. But also, I mean, God, you, I mean, what a compliment to be asked. And, and also, A, you are honest enough to say you're going to have to delay it. But B, you did deliver it as well. So, I mean, and I've obviously, I've, I read about you in a magazine and you've had some lovely sort of features. And, you know, it's just in, incredible and people can see your work. It's just brilliant. But it's interesting going back to what you said before, that you still do feel you know, the fear and nervousness because you've had such validation, but it's no, interesting, you, st <laughs> you still feel like still, it. I feel like a fraud still, like every Do time you? stuff comes up, I'm like, it's really weird. Why, why would anyone want to? Be why, do, why do you think? Why do you think though? Because I think it's such a thing that women. I hate to say it. I don't want to generalise, but we do. But why yeah. do you think you do feel like that? What, what What do you think it is? I don't know, and I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. Like for me, I just you know, it's a very personal thing that you're creating, and you know, caring about it and loving it myself. I you know. I want it to be really special and I'm quite critical of what I do and so it it kind of pushes you to try even harder and make sure it's even better next time and I you know I there are a lot of psychological things about you know the inner critic and things like that which um, are quite powerful kind of forces for women and I think you just kind of have to accept that voice and be like yeah okay <laughs> and just get through it yeah 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 <laughs> it's gonna feel a bit excruciating but once you pass that it's kind of quite good fun <laughs> yeah because because is it I was going to ask you that is it because you I mean again to me it sounds idyllic that you've got your your lovely studio where you live you've got your young children but it means you're around for them and you're doing yeah. something you absolutely love which clearly other people do love so when you're not doing a thousand plates um <laughs> and when you get through the fear is it sort of worth getting through the fear because then actually you're doing something you utterly adore yes absolutely yeah no if 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 it wasn't worth getting past that you would just stop right <laughs> yes I totally can understand that with my books I yes yeah it's a point at which you know I do love it I do want people to have it in their homes I do want it to go into the world 
And so you have to ride that journey through. Yeah, it's worth because I would imagine that the idea of not doing it as much as it might seem quite appealing at times. But if someone said, "Okay, Julie, look, I tell you what, go back to sort of corporate life or whatever would fill you with fear, (laughs) even bigger fear. Yeah, (laughs) I do. I sometimes think about it because I'm like, I do miss like the the kind of mental challenge involved in in the work I did but I would not go back now I would not trade it and sometimes I think I wish I had started this way way earlier like five ten years ago if I'd had the courage to do it then (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. it's amazing how it takes sometimes something like motherhood to give you the courage to do these things yeah well you kind of I, I suppose for me I just looked at it like it was kind of now or never if I keep waiting I'm wondering whether I should be doing this or not. Why not just go and give it a try? Because worst case, like, I was good enough at my job. I think if I phoned them up and said, I've changed my mind, I'd like to come back, I wouldn't have a problem getting a job again. And, like, even when I first set the studio up and I changed all my, you know, LinkedIn profile to, you know, I'm a posher, I'm a creative, I don't do corporate stuff anymore, I still get headhunters, like, writing to me going, there's this big job coming up in the finance sector. (laughs) Would you be interested? Wow. It's like, no. <laughs> it's nice to know there's a route back. And I think that's part, you know, for me, if I'd done this earlier, there would have been a lot more pressure. We would have been a lot less financially secure. I would have had to really, like, churn my work and be driven by that kind of financial side of it. Whereas now I'm quite comfortable and I, you know, the work is for the joy of doing it as well as it being a business. Yeah. Um, and that does make it a lot easier, I think going into this early it probably wouldn't have worked out the way I'd wanted to I'd probably feel quite frustrated and I'd probably have like a team of five potters and I'd be doing no pottery myself and yeah. not really enjoying yeah. the actual process so you'd be running it like sort of like a project like you did and in that same yeah. mindset yeah. and sometimes I do wonder if I should do that but then I kind of go back to it and I'm like I don't really want employees it's it's a whole level never gain doing that and that's not really why I started doing it to begin with when you did do that when you made that leap and you were saying like with your peers that you were in the corporate world what did people think of you when you said I'm going to be a potter most of them knew that I was doing like pottery outside of work and a few people had already bought things off me so they were all like yeah go for it (laughs) they wanted more we wish we had something that we could you know go off and do and enjoy and love that way so yeah everyone was really supportive and I've got um I've got a really good network of friends who've known me for a really long time and they know that I'm a creative and they probably all were like, I don't understand how it's taking you so long. <laughs> and presumably your husband felt like that. Um, yeah. I don't, well, I suppose for him, like, because he met me in London as a corporate kind of high-flying career girl. <laughs> I don't think he was surprised by it, but um, I don't think he would have been surprised either if I'd stayed and kind of kept my career going. I don't. I don't think either of the, either route would have been like a big surprise to him. Because he works in technology investments, is that right? Have I got that right? Yes, right. So it's quite different. <laughs> don't to... ask me to explain it any more. Oh, well, than I was going to say, Julia, that I would put that as one of those jobs that I put in that yes. category that I never quite understand. Um, <laughs> But in those jobs, but does he, when he, so presumably, obviously, like what he does is very, very different to what you're doing. So when you go to your studio, you know, does he, I I would imagine he really loves seeing you work like that. Yeah, so he he kind of, 
his perspective on it is that well we kind of traded like I my job took us to Singapore and I I covered all our costs whilst we were there and that kind of branched him into his current career so he ended up with a contract in Singapore doing these little like technology review papers for the Singapore government for their grant scheme and so I'm like you know I covered that part of our life and now he covers this part of our lives that I don't have to worry about the finances and he does say you know part of the enjoyment of doing his job is knowing that he's giving me the freedom Mm. to do this and giving that back to me which is kind of nice so it's quite nice that it's balanced because I think if it and I would feel quite guilty. <laughs> yeah, but what a team. That's proper teamwork. And you're there with the children as well, which is that yeah, just works which out means so that well. He then doesn't have to worry about that when he has to travel or, or you know, has calls in the middle of the evening and <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, that sounds yeah, just a, a very good balance. So so to move on to the to, to be continued then. So well, obviously yeah, you don't necessarily want to employ people, but what is what are your plans next if you if you have any? Yeah, so the one thing that I haven't been able to do yet is teaching. And I've done a couple of workshops and I really, really enjoy it. And, you know, there's something really nice about sharing what you're able to do and, and creating passion in other people. So I'd want, I want to find a way of kind of making space for that. But, you know, until the kids are properly into school, it's not really feasible. Um, so, yeah, I think growing the studio, I might need to... I don't know, I'm I'm thinking about moving it and getting a bigger premises just so that I can run the workshops that I could maybe have a couple of apprentices in and kind of grow the business into that direction and make it more of a nurturing and, Mm. you know, a a growth prospect for other people. Um, But yeah, it's a bit complicated. Mm. And actually this weekend I had another one of those kind of moments where we we went away on a last minute weekend to a, a house over in Wiltshire and just as I was leaving and saying goodbye to the owners they I don't know how we got onto the topic but they discovered I was a potter and they're like oh that's really interesting because we're setting up this um grant to try and set up a pottery studio here because over in the backfields there's this big um collection of clay wow it's used they've discovered all these um, shards of Roman pottery and things like that in the grounds. And so they've discovered there was an ancient pottery there and they want to resurrect it. And so just as I was leaving in the half an hour that I had point with the kids already packed in the car. <laughs> Holding on to the keys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got a new routine for that. They don't leave my pocket. <laughs> yeah, I can understand. <laughs> And yeah, so this came up that they're setting up this um, studio and they're thinking about running workshops and things like that. And I was like, well, actually, it's about an hour's drive from here. So if they get that up and running, then that might be a good venue for me to pop over to and just run a few things out of their space. God, that's Um, amazing, isn't it? The whole universe thing again. (laughs) It's like like in the last five minutes, Mark's like, why were you gone for so long? I was like, I just burned. Yeah. (laughs) that is I, I was like I don't even know how we got like how the connection started that I was a potter and they were doing this thing but I was like I couldn't just walk out when they started talking about this stuff no of course you couldn't mind you I can imagine him there with the young children in the car <laughs> that's never just easy like looking at his clock going oh, what's she Judy. doing hurry up Judy but that's amazing <laughs> so somebody I mean somebody listen to this like what is it like um you know when you're there in your studio and you've got your clay 
and you've gone through the fear and you're creating what does it what does it feel like julie so it's one it's it's quite meditative like it's one of the things when you get started like all the other things that you've got to think about like the washing and the getting dinner ready <laughs> the million ever boring things that ticking around in the back of your mind um they just vanish like you're just focused on that one thing that you're doing and it's just joyful you know I, you know if I, if even if i wasn't running it as a business i would still be doing it that's amazing isn't it that is the sweet spot isn't it it's something that you just couldn't stop doing even if you weren't doing it as a business that's yeah. the, that's the my thing my only issue is i have to get through my garden to get to the studio and that's also quite tempting a lot of the times <laughs> a little bit of uh, weeding as you go along <laughs> that but, little bit of he's doing i'll do that before i go out <laughs> we're multitasking this is uh the the, the way of the mum um so to move on to your acknowledgements then julie who would you like to thank along the way mr shooter i don't know what he's doing now but you know, <laughs> there's no way i would be doing this without without him kind of broadening my mind to the topic and you know being just a really amazing teacher we were so lucky to have him that's amazing uh, yeah i came across someone recently on instagram actually and they spotted that I'd, I think I'd mentioned him in one of my posts. They went to me going, I, I was his assistant for a while and he is an amazing teacher. And I was like, yeah, he's just a legend. Yeah, one of those like, yeah. teachers that you will never forget for the rest yeah, of your life. Well, compliment. So, yeah, he's, he's definitely on the list. And um, my mum, even though she convinced me not to go to art school, how life would have been different, I don't know. But then I wouldn't have travelled. I wouldn't have had all the things that I've had and enjoyed, and you know, ha- actually had the financial security to, to um, approach things the way we do now. And you know, I wouldn't be able to do it without Mark either. You know, supporting me and encouraging me. And when I sometimes turn around and go, I don't know why I'm doing this. <laughs> why did I say yes to a thousand plates? What's wrong with me? <laughs> <laughs> see mums know don't they 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 yeah. do know in the end but you did it you know and you had such a basis to do it to to do this on as well and also maybe if you hadn't worked in the corporate world on those moments you'd be thinking oh I just want to go and do a job like that but because you've done it you won't go back to it yeah so you're to somebody who's listening to this and I mean two things first of all I think quite a lot of feedback I get are people who really want to do something else but they just don't know what they want to do and they might be listening to say that you know Julie knew what she wanted to do she had this love of clay and pottery but presumably you know it's not like somebody just popped in front of you and said this is what you're going to like to do so what would you what would you say to that person who would love to have a similar setup to you have that sounds fabulous but to find something that they feel just as passionate about I would think that there is probably something in their life already. Like, you know, nobody has no hobbies. Nobody has no things that they've always dreamt about doing. You know, there's always something there that you just ignore because you think maybe you're not good enough or that there's no way to make it into a business or that it just doesn't fit the right model. And it's just digging that out and saying, I'm just, you know, six months if I can afford to do it, I'm going to give myself that time in that window and just give it a try because, you know, at the end of the day, you can, you know, most of these things aren't a one-way route. Like, I didn't give my job up thinking I would never be able to go back, you know, or never find anything else that I wanted to do um, that would be paid by somebody else. And so I think just give your space, self the space to do that. And if you really don't know, 
start going out and trying stuff like you know if you're creative go and find an art school that's got some evening classes and just go through them until you find the one thing that you know once you start it you can't not want to go back and do a bit more of it Mm. that's very good advice and then so on the second part of that that somebody who has found what they love to do and they're thinking oh I don't that that thing of you know like me when I when I said I was going to publish my books and here's my book and read it and you've oh the, just horrendous and again I will <laughs> I don't even know how you got through that to be honest I don't I, ha- I don't think I have Julie to be honest with you there's a lot of uh, <laughs> I can relate so much I mean it's just yeah but that said yesterday I had an email from somebody I don't know not a friend who had read my book and was very complimentary about it but it had helped them and that is almost well it is worth the, the, it's yeah yeah, yeah. Unless, it, unless it was you julia head of this podcast <laughs> but um i i uh but things like that it does it does make it i suppose you get it if somebody like i love you know i've got this your one of your pots here and look it's just amazing and i love it and but you it's it's the fact that and i actually just love I love the process of writing. So I, 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 and if someone said to me I had to stop, I wouldn't stop. So if you combine the two, that's the magic. But it, it's, it's hard. It, you, you do have to go through a lot of. That. Like I think a lot of people would probably start and be like, "Ooh, this is really hard. Yeah, this is really uncomfortable. Maybe it's me, and it's, and I should stop." And I'm like, "No, it's probably not you. Yeah. It's just how it feels. It's how you feel." <laughs> You have, and you know, with my books, you know, I had like seventy rejections from agents saying you're no good. But also, <laughs> I mean, that that was quite a strong message, if I'm honest. But also, um, the truth is, I wasn't, and I'm still. I've got. I, I'm not saying I'm good now because I've got so far to go. But you can't learn unless you start doing it. I suppose. Yeah, and also, like you know, industries are created and with fixed mould and mind they've got their own drivers which are not necessarily like the way the world should work and so I think kind of you know self-publishing and breaking that model is is one way to get done you know they don't know they those lot don't know everything <laughs> no they don't so just finally your tip your last final tip to somebody listening to this what would be your final sort of tip and advice to them the one thing that did help me is I found a lot of community on Instagram of potters kind of at the same stage of their careers who a lot of them are second career kind of potters and I think we originally started talking because I noticed like in in big industry you tend to have these um, forums and groups that give you information about like what's changing in in the industry and you know we use a lot of chemicals and there's a lot of process behind it which unless you spend a lot of time thinking about and worrying about you can kind of go off and do all sorts of crazy stuff that would probably be completely illegal (laughs) mix up a totally toxic glaze that will poison everyone and so i was just writing to these girls go has anyone come across something like that but you know specifically looks at our business and talks about the issues affecting it and they were like no not really there's this is an association of craft potters but that's really just you know promoting mainstream potters and it doesn't really focus on you know what you should be doing how to deal with brexit like that all came along and i was just like mm, that's huge. i don't even begin to understand what i'm supposed to do <laughs> and so i've got this little group of friends who are, are potters and we all started chatting and like sharing information about 
you know, when you're posting stuff out, which couriers to avoid, you break everything, <laughs> and stuff like that. And they're actually really encouraging, and it's a really nice little group. And so maybe finding, you know, weaving through and trying to find people who are in the same stage as you, who can give you a bit of a helping hand, you know, when you're sat there thinking, I've got a kiln full of work that's just exploded, it's been an utter disaster. And you maybe don't know what you've done wrong, or you just want somebody to make you feel better that you've got a little community that can do that for you and push through the fear yeah definitely push through the fear in fact just ignore the fear it's not it's it's a hark back to the days where we were like chased by tigers and lizards and things that might eat us and you just have to ignore it because you're not really going to get hurt by doing any of this stuff judy riley thank you for being such an amazing guest that's all right So there you are. What did you think of Julie? She's pretty amazing, isn't she? What did you take from that? I took push through that fear. I have to admit, it was very comforting to know someone like Julie is still feeling this, even though her work is in national magazines and she's getting those orders from America. I suppose this is just what you have to get through to do something you love. So Julie, thank you so much for being so honest. I keep thinking about Julie in her studio just have a look to her website. That's juliereilly.com, Riley spelled R-E-I-L-L-Y. But just have a look and I think you'll see what I mean. Now, if you want to keep in touch with me in my next chapter or tell me about yours, which I would so love to hear about, you can find me at my website, elliebarkerwrites.com. And of course, the obligatory line, if you could rate and review this episode, then this would be marvellous. So until next week, just remember that dream you've always had. Go on, say it out loud. Julie believes in you and so do I. Speak soon.